top of the arc. Steps back, three ball, off the side iron. Embiid with a rebound, blocked by Giannis. It's knocked down. I thought it was close. Uh, probably should have gone up harder, but in that situation, yeah, I was just trying to, I didn't know how much time was left. So I was, I was just trying to, you know, get the ball up for a quick layup. Uh, I thought it was close. I didn't know if it was a goal turn or not. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I got to get back to rebound the ball. But the ball went to Embiid's uh, hands, and I just tried to jump as hard, you know, as far as I can and uh, try to make play. I thought it was a goal turn. I mean, that was a spectacular block. But um, I think they got the call right. I mean, it took an hour and 20 minutes to look at it. So um, you just got to assume they got it right. You just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Featuring Adam Candy. Dude, shout out to a simpler time in America when all of us were captivated by the California Raisins. Ed Graney is out. He's going to the Final Four, so we will hopefully catch up with him tomorrow from New Orleans. Adam Candy in all day today and tomorrow as Ed has gone to the Final Four. So, the NBA and the possibility of expansion in Las Vegas. We've talked about this the last couple of days on the show. There is potentially going to be a new billion-dollar, 20,000-seat arena south of the Strip on Las Vegas Boulevard between Blue Diamond and the I-15. Tim Lewecki, who has been involved in NHL and NBA uh, in the past, is behind this project that also involves a casino being built there as well. It's obviously looking like a potential NBA home. That could be the end result here, uh, even though Tim Lewecki is sort of tempering expectations for that. There's one key part of this that, at least on this show, we have not talked about yet, and that is that Las Vegas can have all the arenas it wants. It can have all the NBA-ready arenas to go. It can have all the potential ownership groups that it wants, but the NBA has to want to expand for Las Vegas to actually get an expansion team. There's also the possibility of a team relocating. The Pelicans get thrown around a lot, so that is an option as well. But on the idea of expansion, here's a detail that I haven't been able to figure out, like the the logic behind why this would have changed. Back in July of 2021, there was a lot of, in the end of 2020 and into 2021, there was a lot of talk about NBA expansion and Adam Silver brought it up himself. Then in July, after the NBA finals, Adam Silver said this, the most important consideration for us when we look at expansion is Will it ultimately grow the pie? Meaning it's potentially 30 more jobs if you expand with two teams. You expand the league's footprint. How does that help us in varying ways? Sort of increase support nationally. So we'll continue to look at it. I mean, I've said this many times before. We're certainly not suggesting we're locked at 30 teams. I think at some point it will make sense to expand. But it's just not at the top of the agenda right now. So Silver obviously leaves the door open there that expansion could or will happen at some point in the future but the key phrase is their expansion and will it grow the pie and the the what's behind that is if you're an nba owner right now there's 30 nba owners all the revenue you get from the nba you're splitting you're getting one thirtieth of that if you add more teams you're now getting less you're going from one thirtieth to one thirty first or one thirty second revenue so the question is can you make the revenue bigger can you make that pie bigger so that 132nd of that is bigger than the 130th 
they're getting now. And what Adam Silver basically said in July was expansion right now would not do that. It would not grow the pie big enough. So is there any reason to think that that opinion would have changed in the last eight months? Because I can't figure out why it would have. The most important thing to understand is who Adam Silver is. He's the representative of the owners, right? If you don't know this, the commissioner is hired by and represents the owners of the league. And so Adam Silver, as the NBA commissioner, is going to negotiate for the owners. And to me, this is negotiation. This is Adam Silver not wanting to make it look to any potential expansion group like the NBA needs to do this, like the NBA is in any position where it needs the revenue. Because what you want is for the Tim Lewickies and the guys bringing the group to Las Vegas to feel like they're going to be they're going to have to put up the largest possible expansion rights fee to be able to get a team or to relocation fee to get a team from somewhere else. To me, it's all negotiation. I agree with what you're saying that do do Seattle and Las Vegas add that to the pie? They already left Seattle once. And when it comes to Las Vegas, Tyler, I think Las Vegas is almost hurt by the reputation that it is an NBA city already because of the summer league and because of the consistent presence that they've had here with the G League, etc. Like, I don't know that the NBA looks at Vegas and necessarily thinks it needs to make more money off Las Vegas. Right. So to use the comparison to the Golden Knights, the Golden Knights come to Las Vegas and created new hockey fans. There are people that are Golden Knights fans right now that did not care about this sport at all six years ago. That I don't think would be the case for an NBA team in Vegas. I don't think you're creating a significant number of new NBA fans. You would have NBA fans here. There would be support for an NBA team, no doubt about it, but it wouldn't be new fans. And what that means to the NBA is it wouldn't be new revenue. It wouldn't be more revenue to put the NBA in Las Vegas. And that's where you say it could be a negotiating tactic. I think you're you might be right on there that it might be a way of them just saying, Hey, we're not, we're not desperate for anybody. We don't need anybody. But if we take what Adam Silver says, like at face value in terms of, does it grow the pie? I can completely understand NBA owners looking at Vegas and saying, we've already got that market. We don't, we're, we're not going to gain anything extra out of that. We, we've already got Las Vegas. We don't need to put a team there. All right. So let me ask you a question about UNLV. And I know that doesn't seem like it's a natural question. What if they don't need new fans? What if they don't need to create new fans? What if what they need is to reactivate UNLV basketball fans who are done with the Run Rebels? Because it wasn't all that long ago that that building was full. And no, I'm not talking about Jerry Tarkanian. I'm talking about games against San Diego State six or seven years ago. Yeah. Like You have seen Thomas and Mac full not all that long ago. And I don't think all of them became sudden hockey fans. Some of them did. It is without question that in the first couple of years of the Golden Knights, that became the CNBC of Las Vegas when it comes to sports, and it took it away from UNLV. But I wonder, Tyler, if maybe it's about reactivating basketball fans who just don't want to deal with the mediocrity at UNLV. So do you put an NBA team in Vegas and give them the colors of, like, scarlet and gray? Oh, burn. Burn. Come on, the Aces already came close enough. That's true. They did. They did come very close to just stealing those cards. They added some gold there. There's a little, a yeah, little, a little gold black, in there. you know. Yeah. It's uh, it. That's that's it. 
interesting point because there is a I don't know how I don't know how stark it is in Las Vegas itself. It might be pretty stark here, but there's like there's definitely a lot of people that are I'm a college basketball fan, not an NBA fan, and a lot of people they know that I'm an NBA fan. How does anybody watch this garbage that is college basketball? Like so there is that stark difference in fans. I wonder if it's stark enough here in Vegas that there's people that are like, well, I only watch college basketball, but now that Vegas has a team, yeah, I'll do this NBA thing. There's probably some of that. I think you you might be able to to point to that. So it's just, but again, I don't know if the owners truly look at Vegas as a, yes, this is going to make us more money with the exception of that expansion fee. So Adam Silver said, I, we're, I, this is probably almost two years ago now, the idea of an expansion fee being $2.5 billion. Adam Silver said that that was low a couple of years ago. And first off, the commissioner talking about what is an acceptable expansion fee is a pretty obvious sign that they've had conversations about expansion and exactly how much they'd ask from that potential ownership group. But that's where the owners effectively make the money out of expansion is, hey, you're going to pay $3 billion to enter this league, and then the owners just split that. It doesn't go to anybody else. It just gets split by the owners. So that might be the ultimate play here, is how much money can they get out of Tim Lewecki or whoever the hell the ownership group ends up being. How much money can they get out of them? Can they get $3 billion out of somebody in Vegas and somebody in Seattle? And if they can, then maybe they say, yep, we're ready to expand because we're ready for that $3 billion. I heard it the other way. It, to my ears, that wasn't Adam Silver and the owners necessarily having that conversation. That's potential expansion groups who want in coming to the NBA and saying, mm. we will pay you X amount of dollars okay. to come in. I think Adam Silver probably knows he already has an offer in hand that's more than $2.5 billion. Uh, separate from that and just a quick shouting moment, if you're that person who's out there on social media right now during the March Madness saying, I can't even watch this. How do you watch this game? It's not the NBA. You're right. It's not the NBA. It's a different game that people sometimes, believe it or not, watch for different reasons. So if you're that NBA fan, head right on back over to the league and leave us the hell alone till the Final Four is over. <laughs> I... 100% agree with people that have the opinion this isn't as good as the NBA, no doubt about it. Every year I watch the NCAA tournament and then it's, oh, the stretch run of the regular season in the playoffs. And every year I'm like, oh, the NBA, this is much higher quality basketball than what I just spent a month watching. I have that every that moment every single year. I, it doesn't matter to me. I love the NCAA tournament. I can love both of them and you but can too. So enjoy does them. Any, does anyone yell about... College football is terrible. I'm not watching the CFP anymore. No, they don't. And you know what? 99% of the guys playing college football won't even make it a year in the NFL. So don't come at me with basketball. Yeah, that's fun. That's a fun way to do it. Um, you asked this question the reverse in our 7 o'clock segment. If you missed it, go back and listen to the podcast, LV Sports Network, on the idea of Las Vegas needing to get the NBA soon because – Maybe the shine wears off on the Golden Knights and we don't look like such a great sports market if the Golden Knights aren't selling out every time. I'll ask it to you the other way. Do you think the NBA feels any pressure to, if they want to be in Vegas to get here soon since Major League Soccer is probably coming and the A's have been flirting and maybe Major League Baseball ends up here? Do you think the NBA feels any pressure to get here and not be the fourth or even fifth major pro sports league to be in Vegas? Absolutely not. The NBA is the second most popular league in america right now 
uh, I mean, if the NFL went into a lockout tomorrow, the NBA would be the most popular sport in this country. The the NBA has not been in a better position than it is right now for a very long time. Uh, You've got young stars. You've got old stars. You've got a league that is generating buzz among people night in and night out. The NBA doesn't need Las Vegas. No question about it. I believe Adam Silver when he says, if we stay at 30 teams, we're absolutely fine. Because if you want to talk about expanding the player pool, let me just read you a few names. And let me tell you, let me ask you if this says to you, the NBA needs to create more jobs. Aaron Wiggins, Lindy Waters III, Isaiah Roby, Trey Mann, Ty Jerome. Do you know what I just listed off? Ooh, Ty Jerome went to Virginia. He did go to Virginia. I listed off five current members of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Did they start? That's what's... Right now they do because they're in full (laughs) tank mode and and most of their decent (laughs) players are hurt. So, yeah, that to me doesn't suggest we need more jobs in the NBA right now. Yeah, well, we need need them here in Vegas. Come on, come on. I will... uh, The last point here... Uh, because this goes back to the whole growing revenues and and would a city do that? Mark Stein wrote a story a couple years ago um, about the NBA and Mexico City. If there is a city that would expand the revenue of the NBA, it's Mexico City. Like that would put them not only in a new city that I think is the third biggest in North America, that'd probably give them an entire country. And in Mexico, soccer's obviously king. You wouldn't be the number one thing there. But there's a very real chance that if you put an NBA team in Mexico City, you are now like the second most popular thing behind the sport of soccer in Mexico City. So the idea of growing revenues, there is one city out there that would knock Las Vegas completely off the map. But there's a lot of problems with putting a team in Mexico City. You're in a different country. And from Mark Stein's story, there were a lot of concerns about would anybody actually want to live there from a player standpoint or a coaching standpoint? And would it be a viable franchise that way? But as far as growing the revenue, that would be the city the NBA would get into that would actually make a difference for their owners and how much money they make. Oh, without question. But the the logistical concerns are obviously enormous when it yes. comes to doing that. And, you know, I, I would be very curious to see the NBA explain that move away before going to a Seattle or a Las Vegas. Before we go to break, uh, if Las Vegas gets an NBA team, what percentage chance do you think it would be relocation, not expansion? Uh, 90%. I mean, the, the NBA has been clear about this over and over again from the days that Jim Murren first started talking about this with MGM. I, I don't think the NBA is in any hurry to expand. I do think it's going to be something like New Orleans moving out or God, I, no one's speculated about Oklahoma City, but I just don't see a future for this franchise. <laughs> they have all the picks, though, Adam. They have all of them. God, and you know what? Before we go to break, Tyler, that's what kills me. You and I are the guys who would love the Sam Presti approach in general, but they're horrible. <laughs> and they just keep getting the picks. They don't. Act, they they got to cash keep them in. Getting horribler. Yeah. Yeah. You got to cash them in. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs, where we're going to the World Cup. Bischoff's Briefs. I'm asking you if you know the difference between right and wrong. I discovered at a very early age that if I talk long enough, I could make anything right or wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. So either I'm God or truth is relative. Bischoff's Briefs. And in either case, booyah. 
Bischoff's Briefs. It is finally official. The United States has qualified for the World Cup. Is anybody as excited on this show as I am? I literally just thought about what can I do with the next five <sighs> minutes while you yell. Come on! It was... Last night was the best 2 nothing loss in team history because they just had to maintain a higher goal difference than Costa Rica, and that meant losing by five goals or less. So losing by two, phenomenal work. So the United States is qualified for the World Cup. They are done with World Cup qualifiers. The United States, Mexico, and Canada all directly qualified. Costa Rica has to play New Zealand in a one-game playoff when it goes to the World Cup. Uh, Costa Rica should be pretty big favorites in that game, which would give CONCACAF four teams in the World Cup. Here is some slightly important news for the future. This is probably the last time the United States is actually going to have a difficult time qualifying for the World Cup because the next World Cup the United States is hosting, which means we are going to get an auto bid into it. And at the next World Cup, they're expanding the teams. So instead of just three CONCACAF teams going, there will be six CONCACAF teams going, which means for the United States to miss in 2030 and beyond, they'd have to somehow be the seventh best team in this region, which sounds impossible. Like they'd have to absolutely suck for that to happen. So the United States should probably be in every World Cup for the rest of my life. They've only missed one in my entire life, so that's still pretty good. Now, the funniest part of qualification, though, is that Canada finished top of the group in qualification, but when we get to the World Cup draw, Canada's going to be in pot four, and the United States and Mexico are going to be in pot two, because pots are based off the FIFA World Rankings, which take into account more games than just qualifying. So good job, Canada. You're not getting out of your group, and it's going to be hilarious when they go 0-3. And that brings us to Greg Berhalter, the manager of the U.S. men's national team. I don't know if there's a more toxic fan base on Twitter than the U.S. men's national team. It's pretty brutal. People were not happy last night when they qualified for the World Cup because they lost a game that they didn't have to win. They didn't even have to really be competitive in it, and people weren't happy. It's very toxic. Greg Berhalter gets a lot of that, but the last 15 months or so have been incredible for the United States. We won two tournaments. We beat Mexico in last year's Nation League's final, won a trophy. We then won the Gold Cup with a B team, and guess what? We beat Mexico again in the final. The United States won all three games last year against Mexico. It's the first time since like the 30s that we've beaten Mexico three times in the same calendar year. It was phenomenal, and now we're qualified for the World Cup. It's been about as good of a 15 months as U.S. soccer has maybe ever had right i mean it's pretty good we don't really go far in the world cup so this is about as good as it gets for us an incredible last 15 months tomorrow though we find out the last uh, equation of the world cup we find out the groups and this is where the pot rankings are important the united states we were we were close to reaching pot one but we're in pot two so we're going to be drawn into a group with a team from pot one a team from pot three and a team from pot four with the exception that we can't be drawn into the same group as Canada or Costa Rica, who would be in pot four. So everybody else, though, is pretty much on the table for us from those pots. Here's what we're cheering for on Friday. Pot one, these are the seven best teams in the world. Brazil, Belgium, France, Argentina, England, Spain, and Portugal, and Qatar, because the hosts are automatically put into pot one. What that means is, We absolutely want Qatar to be drawn into our group on Friday. 
because if Qatar is drawn into our group, there is a really good chance we're the best team in our group and we should expect to win our group if we get Qatar. If we get them on Friday, I'll, I think it happens during the show. I'll be on this show celebrating that we're already going to the round of 16 in the World Cup. Nothing bad can happen from that. If we don't get Qatar, I think Portugal's probably the team I want the most from pot one. Uh, they barely qualified, but had to go through a playoff to get there. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as any of the other teams in pot one. Uh, I would really like to avoid Brazil and France. I think those two are the ones that are the, the scariest. And then the rest are England, Belgium, Argentina, Spain. They're all going to be better than us. Maybe we could beat them, but we're really playing for second for pretty much anybody that's not Qatar and probably Portugal. The real key is how tough is the team we get from pot three? Because uh, there's a pretty big mix here between Iran, Japan, Morocco, Serbia, Poland, South Korea, Tunisia, and Senegal. I think South Korea would be great, Tunisia and Morocco too. Um, I think I'd want to avoid Senegal and maybe Poland the most. But that'll be the key because if we get a bad team from pot three, that'll come pretty close to, I shouldn't say guaranteeing because we'll find a way to blow it. But that'll come pretty close to uh, putting us into the round of 16 and giving us a shot to actually winning some important games in the World Cup. Get out of the group and that's what's going to matter. So there we go. The United States is in the World Cup. The draw is tomorrow. Big day tomorrow to find out who we get to beat in the World Cup. Everybody should be excited. I don't want your apathy anymore. We're going back to the World Cup. I used the last six minutes to edit and publish a story over at LegalSportsReport.com. Uh, I did find out that uh, we should be cheering for the correct pots to work out the right way. We definitely want to get Qatar. Yes. Um, I was listening that much um and and to all of you toxic soccer fans on twitter stop ruining tyler's day that's right actually i enjoy it very much you guys can be toxic i enjoy toxic atmospheres it's very fun to watch so you can keep doing it it's just very toxic and greg berhalter deserves some credit because we're in the world cup and mexico can't beat us which is always a great feeling we're going back it's gonna be fun coming up next jr starkis joins the show Ready for the weekend? Like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. Hello, J.R. Aren't you glad you're back to being the follow-up to me yelling about soccer for 10 minutes? Oh, man, I love it so much. It's, uh, it's not hard to <laughs> impress people with my drinks when the last thing they talk about was soccer. <laughs> Come on, Jr. Are you going to watch any of the World Cup games? Um, you know what? I uh, yes, I will watch oh, World wow. Cup probably. Wow. I, I would wow. I, I would probably watch World Cup game if if it were on a Saturday or Jeez, Sunday. Listen to you. Can't you have one of your uh, meetings where you drink and just put a TV on? Well, the funny thing is, is that my so my so I have an office. I have two offices that I that I have that I can go to, and then I have my home office, which I guess would be my third. And since the pandemic hit, and I've made my front living room kind of this office, I I hung a seventy five inch television on the wall in here, so I could turn Perfect. it on at any time and turn around and watch that game. And I just probably wouldn't Jeez. because I don't. <laughs> uh, but but I know I, I enjoy soccer. Like I've told you before, I, I went to the uh, the USA and Mexico game at Allegiant. Um, and that atmosphere is incredible. It's, it's 
it's right up there, I think, you know, with, with, a, with a good, like, hockey game, right, when you have that kind of energy in the room. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's hard to explain it unless you're, you see it for yourself because on television it, it might not translate. Like, even with hockey, I think, sometimes, unless you've been to a Knights game, for instance, it's hard for that energy to translate on, uh, on television with the music and the, the light shows and all that stuff that's going on, the national anthem, the, all that stuff that they do. Um, I think it's kind of the same for, at least for me, for, for a soccer game, especially when it's a big international match. So, um, you know, I, I enjoy that kind of pageantry. It's fun. Uh, do, you, do you think we're getting an NBA team, or do you think we're just getting a lot of uh, arenas that could host an NBA team without getting one? I mean, there's a lot of smoke here, in my opinion. So I tend to believe where there's smoke, there's fire, you know. Um, I, I don't know if it's an NBA team or, you know, it, it seems, you know, like I heard you talking about, I think it was yesterday, there's, this is a lot of money to potentially invest for like a, well, I hope so. I hope we get an NBA team at some point. You know, there there's seems like there's got to be something else kind of that they're not telling us yet. Um, you know, so I, I, think there's, I think there's something to it now. If I'm speaking frankly for myself, would I rather see a baseball team? Yes. Um, I, but if they're going to do an NBA team, I would – I'm not a basketball fan, right? That's, that's out of the major four. Um, that comes in fifth, if I can make that, because you know, it's, it's, just not my, it's just not my favorite. But um, I, I would enjoy an NBA team if it were Las Vegas' own, kind of like the Knights, right? If it's just a rebranded team, somebody moving here. Me personally, the casual, very, very casual fan – um, I lose a little bit of interest there. I do. Wow, you're not you're not going to cheer for the Las Vegas Pelicans? Um, I, I I would cheer for them because they're ours, but um, I chances of me uh, turning on a soccer game are a hundred percent higher than me turning on a Pelicans game. <laughs> are you gonna? Okay, that's by the way another question for you. You're gonna have to make us a drink in November and December to have while watching a five a.m. soccer game. Oh yeah, that's 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 easy, man. I can do that, no problem. Like little morning okay. hair of the dog type style okay. drink, uh, early morning brunch, if you will. Yeah, I got that. That's that's in my back pocket. All right, that's going to be important here. All right, what are you making for us today? Uh, so you know, today being the final day of of Women's History Month, I wanted to focus on another brand that's owned and created and built by women. Um, and, and I chose a mezcal drink, a Yola mezcal. And part of the reason I chose Yola Mezcal is because, you know, in our industry, in my industry, um, it's, it's pretty well observed and pretty well agreed upon that within the next three years, uh, what has been the king of beverage, which would be vodka, is soon to be taken over by that of tequila. Um, and and, and the, so tequila is enormously popular these days. It's, it's, uh, but tequila does not have its popularity without mezcal um not no, no you know so tequila and mezcal are, are are very different um all tequila is mezcal but not all mezcal is tequila because tequila must be made in a very specific manner in a specific part of mexico by certain rules um the the mezcal as we know it most people uh for the layman would describe it as smoky tequila um and you know for the purposes of our show today uh, that's kind of where I'll lean in. Um, so using Yola Mezcal is a smoky version of an agave-based spirit. Um, the, the, the agaves they're using are not blue agave, which is what you have to use for Mezcal. Uh, they use an espadine and a, 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 another agave called the uh, Maruquiche, 
which is a, so it's a kind of a blend of agaves that they use, which is something that you can't do when you're making tequila. The production methods are different, including the way they do it, which is cooking it underground, which gives it that smoky flavor. Um, it is not, mezcal as a category isn't for everyone, um, but it certainly is a very flavorful alternative to agave-based drinks. Um, so I wanted to highlight Yola Mezcal today um, and make a, a fun little drink with it. So if you remember last week's drink um, that I, I highlighted, Alpine Gin, from, from uh, Sarah Sargent, the master distiller at Alpine, um, I used her husband's brand as well called Alpine Preserve, which is the liqueur. I'm going to use that again. Um, some agave nectar, because that's generally the sweetener that we would use with any kind of um, uh, an agave-based spirit, uh, some lemon juice, some pineapple, and some basil. Easy, fun drink, uh, especially with the warmer weather now, that, that would be f- fun little play. So take three basil leaves and like six cubes of fresh watermelon. Um, now, when you, when you peel a watermelon, you know, just th- there's that obviously that core that goes right through the middle. Um, you can either core the pineapple previously or just cut around it. You don't want to put that in the drink because there's really, uh, it's not going to hurt you, but there's really no flavor in it, really. Um, so you want to kind of get rid of that. So cut around it, six cubes of pineapple, um, and take the pineapple and the, and, the, and the basil and just muddle them together in a mixing tin. Um, you don't have to muddle too long. You're just trying to extract some of the oil from the basil and some of the juice from the pineapple. Once you're done there, you want to add one ounce of fresh lemon juice. You can certainly make it fresh lime you so desire. I like the softer acidity here of the lemon juice. Uh, but one ounce of fresh lemon juice and a half of an ounce of agave nectar. Um, the half of an ounce of agave nectar will kind of be offset by the additional sweetness of the Alpine Preserve and the fresh pineapple. Uh, so we're going to add a little bit of fresh pineapple, or excuse me, a little bit of the Alpine Preserve, which is a three-quarter ounce pour, and that will balance the acidity here that we're dealing with. Uh, the last ingredient will be the Yola Mezcal, an ounce and a half. Uh, just take all those ingredients, add ice in a mixing tin, shake them together. Now, you want to shake pretty well because you're, you're trying to extract some of that basil flavor. Um, you're trying to incorporate all the juices from the pineapple. Um, and so once you shake it, you'll see that when you remove the mixing tin, the top from the tin, there's a bit of a foam on it, and that's from the pineapple, and it really adds a nice layer to this, uh, to this cocktail because it adds a bit of mouthfeel to it as well. Uh, strain the drink. You can strain it over ice if you so desire. Um, I like it in a cocktail glass or a coupe or something without ice, like some people would call it a quote-unquote martini glass. Um, but I would recommend double straining, so using a tea strainer or something like that, because when you shake it with the basil, just like mint, um, the, some, sometimes little pieces can peel off, and that will get into your tea or something. Now, it's not the biggest deal. It's not going to hurt you, of course, but uh, it's not attractive if you're looking at somebody, maybe a date or somebody that has basil or mint in their teeth. So I, re- I recommend double straining this out. Um, and chill it into or strain it into a, a chilled cocktail glass, and, and you have a really wonderful, um, you know, agave-based Yola Mezcal cocktail that highlights some of the flavors of summer, um, a highlights of female and a woman-owned brand, and in Women's History Month, it's 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 really quite nice. In the spectrum of things, um, the smoke levels, if you will, of a lot of mezcals they vary from almost nothing. To very, very, um, very smoky, very um, earth-driven, very unique, almost uh, off-putting to some people when the when the palate gets a little crazy. Um, this Yola Mezcal to me sits kind of in right in the middle of the spectrum. So it's not it's not the least smoky, but it's not the weirdest mezcal out there either. It really is a great cocktail mezcal. 
Uh, so that's why I wanted to choose Yola Mescal and, and for that drink today. It's a really wonderful one. You uh, mentioned this last week too about tequila surpassing vodka. Um, mm-hmm. What's the what's the top five most consumed liquors in the world right now? Uh, would be vodka, tequila, whiskey, and then I say whiskey that incorporates Woo! you know that that incorporates bourbon that incorporates Irish that incorporates Scotch. So um, you're probably there, and then after that you might be dealing with like rum and gin. Probably. It'd be tough to. I would say probably rum would be a little bit more, and uh, uh, but that that one I don't know for sure. Rum and gin could probably flip flop. How long has vodka been number one in the world? Oh boy, since the eighties. Okay, this is this yeah, is, yeah, this is a day. dynasty, is what you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, it came it came into play when you know, or maybe even like the late seventies. But it you know it came into play when people. Um, <laughs> I, I think I've talked about this before when people were looking at the. You know, having a cocktail with with lunch, which is you know more these days, at least especially in my industry, deemed normal. Um, but you know, your, people were looking your for industry. a way. To, yeah, people were looking for a way to to, to drink um, without. Too. Yeah, for, they were looking for a way to drink without um, without having their bosses or significant or um, you know superiors know. Uh, so the the marketing campaign for a long time for vodka was drink vodka, it will leave you breathless. And so, you know, that's that's kind of the marketing campaign because people were drinking a couple martinis at lunch, and the, you couldn't smell the alcohol on their breath as you would if you if you um, if you had something else like a, a mezcal or a bourbon or something along those lines. So, uh, for a long time, especially with the help of like you know all the nightclubs and day clubs that we have here in Las Vegas, um, it, the, as a global brand, vodka is you know uh, in, incredibly incredibly um, consumed. Um, I, you know, it's, it's so it's, and it's been that way for, for many, many years. And now it's turning into, um, tequila and we expect it to surpass in the next few years, like I mentioned, but the scary part is for those of us that pay attention to it is, you know, vodka is made from anything. You can make vodka from corn, from wheat, from rye, from potatoes, you know, whatever you want. If it's a fermentable, if it's fermentable, you can make vodka from it where tequila takes something very special, uh, the blue agave and the blue agave to reach maximum ripeness usually takes between seven to 12 years, somewhere in there. Um, and so there's a big concern over, over farming and, you know, how much agave is really planted and how much can we, how do we keep up with that global demand when it takes so long to grow something versus uh, a vodka, which can essentially be made, you know, all the time. JR, I'm always impressed with random bits of alcohol history that I learned when we have you on. So we appreciate it. JR Starkus, Southern you. Glazers Wine and Spirits, extreme mixologist. I forgot to mention that earlier. Extreme <laughs> yeah, mixologist. Yeah. JR, as always, we appreciate it. You got it, guys. Talk to you next week. So there is JR Starkus. And now we have Megadeth tickets to give away. They are coming to Las Vegas in April, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see Megadeth, we've got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number five at 702-364-1100. We were only comfortable enough, uh, based on our own investigations, to have the conversation. Um, if we had decided to pursue it further, I think the level of intensity of the work we would have done would have gone up dramatically. Where that would have led, I don't know. You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Eli. He won tickets to go see Megadeth. Um, 
I look forward to having this conversation. It'll probably be less than once a year, but the NFL's new overtime rules, which give both teams a guaranteed offensive possession. Uh, the conversation I'm curious about, and Adam, I'm, I'm wondering what you think. What's going to be more valuable? Getting the ball second and knowing what your opponent did, so knowing what you need to do to win the game or extend the game, or getting the ball first so that if you and your opponent both match points on the first two possessions, you get the first crack at a sudden death winner. It appears from most of the data folks that I follow and, and have chatted with that the information edge of going second is, is that is going to be, be more valuable. Is, is going to be more valuable. Yeah. Interesting. I. I don't know why I think the other way, even though I've I've read the same things. I know Ben Baldwin's tweeting about it right now. I, for whatever reason, I can't get over the fact that I just, I don't know. I don't feel like I feel like the information edge it's going to be important, but I I think maybe am I overrating how often teams are going to match scores? No, that's only human nature, right? It's only it's natural instinct that they're they're going to try to match scores. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the way deep into the <laughs> why are we making defense irrelevant here, but you know if this is the way you're going to do it, I think it's going to take a year or two for us to figure out what teams really think about it. And quite honestly, what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch Baltimore and I'm going to watch the Chargers and I'm going to watch the <laughs> Cleveland Browns and the more analytically inclined organizations to see what they do, and that's going to tell me what the best way is to do it. <sighs> we could have gotten John Gruden deciding what to do in overtime with new rules oh that would have been fun to talk about the next day it would have been fun but not anymore i just it's going to be interesting because it's you are guaranteed the possession but there's still like th the same possibility exists right where last year the coin toss gave kansas city the ball first and they scored and everybody turned around and said well uh, of course they did nobody was stopping the offenses but it's if you extrapolate that out and you just think the offenses were going to score, the new overtime rule doesn't fix that. Kansas City scores, Buffalo scores, and then Kansas City scores again to win the game. Or Buffalo, I guess, goes for two to win it, maybe something like that. And maybe we're happier about that outcome. I don't know. It just seems like a, a rule that doesn't fix what people thought the problem was, even though that probably wasn't that big of a deal overall. It's a rule that is a completely emotional reaction to the Kansas City-Buffalo game. That's it. And Roger Goodell, man of the people, saying that this is a response to giving the fans what they want. Um, is it really? Is it really? <laughs> Does this solve anything at all? Because what you just said is the point of this whole thing. What's the difference if Kansas City scores once versus if Kansas City scores twice? If you have a defense that couldn't stop them in the first place, that's the real problem. Like, go ahead. Ted Wynn tweeted this out, just to, the other part of this. He said they should have required teams to go for two in overtime, which I think would no. be more fun. I think it'd be I more don't fun. Like, it'd be more fun, but I don't like it. It, it. I mean, look, it's gimmicky enough the way they're doing it right now. And if you're going to require them to go for two, just make it college overtime, right? Just line them up at the 25 and do it that way. It, 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 if you're going to completely sell this thing out as, a, as an offensive-based gimmick, then just do it where it gets it over with quickly, please. 
Uh, you know, I love gimmicks and overtime. Um, and I'm also very pumped because we are just less uh, than, we're a week away from Ghost Runners on second and extra innings. I can't wait. It's, I'm so glad they brought it back. You thought it was dead. You thought it got It is dead off. after this year. They've made you very clear it's a it one-year thing. No, that's what you thought this year. And guess what? It's going to keep coming back and it's never going to die because it's better. It's better okay. than no Ghost Runner in the 10th inning. All right. I know we don't have time to do this for real, and we're going to probably get into this tomorrow. But just give me your your quick reaction to seeing Yankees Ooh. GM Brian Cashman complaining about the 2017 Astros in 2022. I'm going to have to restrain myself tomorrow because we could yell at each other for probably the entire show, and I don't know if anybody wants three hours of that. Um, Brian Cashman is saying has said that the reason the Yankees have not been to the World Series since 2009 is because the Astros cheated in 2017. Uh, that means there are 15 other years that they didn't lose to the Astros in the ALCS, right? Did I do the math right there? Um, how is that the reason that they haven't been to the World Series since 2009? He called it illegal and horrific. <laughs> Wait, are you going to be on my side tomorrow on this? This is what's called a tease, kids. It's why I set it up with one minute to go in the show. Because you're going to have to tune in tomorrow to find out, do I defend Brian Cashman or do I actually find a way to side with Tyler over the Astros cheating scandal? Ah, what a great cheating scandal. Cheating's the best. Just embrace it. Let everybody Illegal cheat. Illegal and, and horrific. And cheating's, cheating is the future. Cheating is the past, the present, and the future.